would open your Bibles this morning to Luke, the second chapter, and the 21st verse. I started to say Luke 21, verse 2, but corrected that in time. Luke, second chapter, and the 21st verse, and on your handout, uh, if you didn't bring back the uh, uh, big handout, which I anticipated that most people wouldn't because I hadn't reminded anybody, but anyway, um, the... uh, you get the rest of the handout in this stack of notes. Uh, Dan Hardy used to say we had the world's largest bulletin here at the church, but uh, we did, so what? It's uh, uh, just paper. That'll get me in trouble if nothing else will. Anyway, before we begin, let's just take a few moments for silent prayer. And in so doing, it's time that we presented ourselves in front of the throne of grace. And so we can, we can learn. Now, the, the Lord wants us to learn his word. He's not put anything in there in such a mystical way that you can't understand the basics of it. So that's what we're looking at today. We decided in conjunction with the time that uh, the world celebrates Christmas to take a look again at the birth of the Messiah. And that's why I know we're two weeks late. I know December 25th is come and gone. And I kind of look at it and go, so what? Isn't this valuable any day of the year? And for those that think that he wasn't born till spring, that's fine. Maybe we, I don't think we'll last till spring. But in any event, we need to know about Messiah coming into the world, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And to do that, we took a chronological look at the events leading up to and including the birth of the Messiah. And so that's what we are at today. We've already spent three classes on it. And so uh, we're going to pick it up where we left off with Simeon and Anna. That's why Luke 21, 221 is found in here. So before we begin, let's take a, take a moment for silent prayer. Present ourselves in front of the throne of grace. If you've come and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. He made some pretty bold claims. John 3.16, Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Spiritual things, we are told, require spiritual discernment in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So unbelievers can read the Bible and gain some, some superficial, topical information. It takes a believer to be able to understand the mystery of the ages that God had for us. So it starts with being a believer. And then we need to want to know. We're told to study to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen that do not need to be ashamed. If we could read it once and have it all understood and up here in our head, we wouldn't need to study, would we? But his word said, no, you need to study. And so that's where we, that's where we are. So let's take this minute and put aside all the cares and the pressures and the problems of the world, all the good stuff and all the bad stuff, and let's just think about the Lord's word for a little bit of time. Let's pray. Father, we're so amazingly blessed, we're honored, we're privileged to be called your kids. What greater reward could there be than that? What greater significance could we have in this life? What greater security than to know that we are in your hands? There is no power in heaven on earth or under the earth that can take us out. And Father, we thank you for that that great comfort that you bring to us as your family. Father, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit will nourish our souls so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in Luke 2. You can kind of see the outline there uh, where we looked at his birth. That's basically point one. If you want a, a complete explanation of the life of Christ, it's on the website. And just look for Life of Christ. And it's got all four of the Gospels put together. And you can track it all the way from his birth all the way through his death and ascension. But uh, the first part of this was the preparation. And then uh, part B, a newborn king is worshipped. And we have seen the angels showing up. We saw four times in here. It said, fear not. Fear not. He talked to Zacharias about it. He talked to Elizabeth about it. He talked to Mary about it. And he told the shepherds, fear not. 
one of the most repeated exhortations there is. What should we be afraid of if the Lord is on our side? Then we saw the angel's message to a virgin. Two women rejoicing, that is Mary and Elizabeth rejoicing over the fact they're going to have some miraculous births. Clearing a path, John the baptizer would be the one that was the one sent in front of him in fulfillment of prophecy. Call him Jesus was the name. Remember Zacharias when he was told that he was going to have a child, he just kind of didn't quite agree with the angel. And he said, okay, you're going to not talk again till this is fulfilled. Now, we know a few other people in Scripture that didn't agree with what the angel had to say. But a few of them were ever really kind of hammered like this. But old Zacharias went around, and so they'd ask him something. He'd have to write it down, his answer, because he couldn't talk. And so as soon as he realized that this indeed was the Lord. And when he said, you shall call him Jesus, because the family wanted to name him something else, then guess what? He got to talk again. The prophecy was fulfilled. Good news of great joy. And now we pick it up with Simeon and Anna in uh, Luke 2:21 to 39. So <clears throat> the principle, I would say here, from Simeon and Anna, these are two people that paid attention. Now, there wasn't a lot of prophecy that had to do with the arrival of the Messiah. There wasn't a lot. But these two people were people that seemed to be attuned. Did they know Daniel 9, 24 to 27? Yes, yeah, I'm sure they did. Because of who they were and their association with the tabernacle. They knew about Daniel 70 weeks. And from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem... Happened March 5th, 444 B.C. Artaxerxes gave the decree to rebuild it. It says there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And then after that, Messiah will be cut off. And it's known as the 70 weeks of Daniel. The 70th week is yet to be fulfilled. But they knew the timing of the 69th week. And I felt like they had to have some idea that he was coming. In any event, they didn't even need to know the scripture because they're prophets. They were given specific information that he was on, on the way. The point made here is a principle in 1 Corinthians 12.32. <clears throat> it says, Of the sons of Issachar, who, men who understood the times, with knowledge of what Israel should do, their chiefs were 200 and all the kinsmen were at their command. This is one of the things that people look at occasionally, people who understood the times. There are different times and seasons that has been allocated by the Lord's design. And so men of Issachar, at one point in their life, now Israel was not known for understanding the times. So this was quite a statement for that tribe at that moment in history. But we are in a time whenever we should be able to understand the times about the, uh, uh, about the last days and Messiah's return. We should have some concept of that for those who are in the church. And as we've been studying, we've looked at the prophecies of the last days, and we're now in Second Peter looking at what then should we do? How then shall we live? Because to know something is part of it, but it's not all of it. How do we live? Now the background to Simeon and Anna's in verse um, 221 and it says, when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. We've already been through the virgin birth, the conception, and the, and the birth. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, Mary and Joseph were godly people trying to fulfill the law of Moses and that they did, and they did that with Jesus. In verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So they were doing what they were called to do within the law of Moses. And it says, And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pig pigeons. 
So this is the background of what we have. Now in verse 25, we see Simeon. It says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous. This is the word dikaios. And when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are imputed with the righteousness of God. That's Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5. That's, that's what happens. But are you a righteous person? Because we're supposed to be righteous as he is righteous. Even believers are called to do that. So he says he was righteous. It indicates, first of all, he was a believer. And it appears that he was living a righteous life as well. Because the word devout, which is the word eulabes, means to take hold of well. And it's, uh, it kind of indicates to be careful to the realization of the presence and the claims of God. Reverencing God. That's kind of the idea behind this word translated as devout. So here is a man that, that had some qualifications. Looking for the consolation of Israel. This is kind of interesting. Parklesis is the word. Consolation is a word that, that comes out of parkaleo, the verb form, which means to call alongside. And you find the word that word and parklesis being used to describe comfort, calling alongside, encouragement. That's, uh, that's what we see. And here they translated it consolation but we would understand it he's the he is the encouragement of Israel he is in the flesh what uh, the prophets had told about for centuries and here he is and it says he was looking for him now some people were looking for a messiah to throw out the romans but they thought they had it all covered with the messiah to take care of their sins cuz they thought their sacrifices was all they needed to offer up and those sacrifices took away sins even though the Old Testament said multiple times it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins he says and the Holy Spirit was upon him nice little phrase in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit is said to be upon believers we as church age believers the Holy Spirit is in the Lord said that the night before the cross. He is upon you and he will be in you. So there was going to be a change along the way. And here is the standard uh, spirituality issue of prior to the day of Pentecost. So he had three qualifications. He had life. He was a believer and he, he lived what was given to him. He had a true relationship with the living God. He was devout. And he had the Holy Spirit. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of Jews that met these qualifications back then. But Simeon was one of them. And we can gain eight principles out of Simeon's life. Just by following through what it says here. It says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah, the one who was to come. So here is Simeon, a prophet, and he had been told directly that he was going to see the Messiah, the God who became man. He was going to, to see him. Now, this was a personal ministry of the Holy Spirit to this individual. And when we have promises given to us through the written word, our response should be the same. We should be willing to obey and listen because he's gone to a lot of trouble to inspire over 40 authors, over 1,500 years, scattered on five continents with the same message. First principle, have faith in the promises of God. We make a whole sermon off that. I can make a whole series off that. Learn the promises of God. What are they? You know, if you love God, he's going to work all things together for good to those who love God. That's, that's an important one, isn't it? Have we ever seen that in our own life? I, I know most of us have. We have seen him take bad situations and work them together for good. Just have faith in the promises of God. But notice, promises often have conditions to those who love him. The condition is for us to meet 
and then it's his responsibility to keep the promise. It says, And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law. See, Mary and Joseph were bringing baby Jesus in there to carry out the custom of the law. That's all timing. And here's this guy waiting. He's not going to die until Messiah comes. And we follow this through. He's glad he saw him because he's a little bit tired. I know a lot of us get a little bit tired from time to time. The older we get and we get up and we think, yeah, I'll do that today. And about noon we're done for the day. And it's nap time. Let's go get horizontal for a little bit and recharge the batteries and come along. And this guy is doing what he's called to do, but he's tired and worn out. And the Lord said, the angel said, you're going to see Messiah. Okay? Now, <clears throat> the second principle, follow the Holy Spirit's lead. Because it says, he came in the Spirit into the temple. Okay? He showed up there just at the right time. Showed up there when when Mary and Joseph and Jesus were showing up for the, the circumcision. And he says, and he took him into his arms, took Jesus into his arms, and he blessed God and said. Now, blessing, it, it, it's a beautiful word. The Greek is so expressive. Eulageo. Legeo means to speak, and the you means good. To speak good. So it's not just, oh, bless you, God. Okay, that's one way to do it. But it's, God, you're indeed amazing. You're wonderful and all that. You're speaking good about God. And he blessed God. And I don't think he says, God bless you, or God bless you, God. I think he had some other things to say about it. But look at what he did. The third principle, fill your life with Jesus, the Messiah. There are a lot of people that just think he was a good man that a lot of people started to follow. He was a simple man and the myth took over and it became a worldwide religion. But that's not really the way it not really the way it worked. He was a simple man, known to be the son of a carpenter. But what he did changed the world. He was anything but a man that became a myth. He was the God that became man, if you believe the scriptures. And then Simeon's joy. Why? God's word was fulfilled. He says, now Lord, and he speaks in Old English here. You'll catch this. I don't know if there's an Old English Hebrew or Aramaic, but here it comes in Old English. Thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. Now, he's saying, hey, I can die. The time had been fulfilled. The promise had been fulfilled. He knew he was going to have to endure until such a time as Messiah showed up. And he says, he's here. He's here. Now, I can lay on down. Then he says, you see that principle, fulfill your calling. That was his special calling. We're, we're not, I don't think we're going to, have an angel drop in and visit us and go, we probably think that we, we need a little help if we, an angel just pops in and shows up and goes, hey, but um, here's a guy who knew what was happening. He knew God's plan for him. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. See, here's kind of a, a literal principle. Fix your eyes on Jesus. When you get to Hebrews chapter 12, we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy set in front of him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here is, he says, mine eyes have seen you. So fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, when we, it's easy to talk about, but do we ever? Because as we go through life's trials and struggles and we have so many things it seems that we need to get done we want to get done there's the want to's and the need to's and it seems like a lot of times there's no time for any any of those how many times do we just fix our eyes on the lord okay lord 
It's a mess. It is a tornado swirling around me. It is a storm brewing. But, while I know you can calm the storm, calm me. That is fixing our eyes on Jesus. It is leaving the outcome in his hand. And it is deciding to live a life like Simeon. He just like you and I. With as many problems, pressures, all that that goes along with it. And fix our eyes on Jesus. He says, which you prepared, which you have my set, your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Prepared is hetoimazo. And it means to, to, to fix things, to get the plan together, to put it all together. When did Jesus come? At the fullness of times. When did that happen? So the prophecies dealing with the first advent could all come together. So feast on what God has prepared. Feast on what God has prepared. That's what, that's what Simeon is saying. He's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people, Israel. So focus on the light. These simple principles that we're learning right out of Simeon. What, what did he do? Faith. He followed. He filled his life with Jesus the Messiah. Fulfilled his calling is what he was doing. Fixing his eyes on Jesus. Feasting on what he has prepared. When we see him bringing his plan together. Then that's a good place to sit down and have dinner with him. Revelation 3 says, I stand at the door and knock. I wish you'd let me in. Wish you'd let me in. He said, I want to come in and let's eat together. But sometimes, isn't it amazing how a lot of people don't even offer up thanks for their food when they sit down anymore? It just permeated our society. Well, I don't want to look too holy. You won't. Now, some people I know that used to offer prayers in restaurants, by the time they got done, the whole restaurant <laughs> restaurant had their head bowed because <laughs> it was <laughs> loud. I'm not saying do that, but you could tell he was a Baptist. He just got everybody's attention, and everybody prayed with him. But focus on the light, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Notice. How early on in the life of Christ's history they, that he is designed to be a light to the Gentiles. The Jews missed that. The Jews missed that where it was taught throughout the Mosaic Law that they were to take care of the sojourner. They were to, the Gentiles could join in Israel. They had to follow the law, certain things that they had to do. He says, but here he is. But not everybody had this understanding and look at verse 33 his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him now I having read all this other chronologically and I'm going let's see what happened to, to Mary oh Gabriel came to her said you're going to be with a child okay she knew about what happened to her, her cousin Elizabeth okay you're going to be with child Okay, so they had seen the Lord work and the Magnificat of Mary and how blessed I am in front of all the... And, and then they were amazed at what was being said about him. It's like they lost track. How did his mom lose track? But it seems that that's what happened. Because sometimes after great victories and great joys, we can get our focus reset on something else and we can we can miss it. Now dad did how about dad? An angel came to him. Tell yeah, this is your wife. Yeah, she is pregnant with child from the Holy Spirit because he was thinking about putting her away and he said, Don't do it. Take care of her. And it said that he kept her a virgin until after Jesus was born. Was placed in there. So both of them had, had divine visitations, and now they are in the temple. And here is Simeon going, This is the salvation of Israel. And they're going, Huh? Don't we do the same thing from time to time? 
And Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword, Mary, will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Ooh, Simeon speaking some powerful words there in a few sentences. Mary, your son, will be an issue to Israel. He'll be there for the fall and rise of many people within Israel. He's going to be an issue. She, he also told her, your son is going to be attacked, so prepare for it. Now, how would, how would you, you know, a lot of times as a, as a parent, we don't like to hear that. But there's attacks that are going to come. And here she's told, your son is going to be under attack. Your son is going to undergo incredible pain and you're going to watch. Whoa. These are all specific prophecies of Messiah. And your son will be the standard of truth. John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me. The point is we need people to remind us from time to time. And that's why what Simeon was doing. He was reminding Mary about the special nature of her child. Now, Anna the prophetess is in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage. Now, here is a young widow, basically. Lived with her husband for seven years. And now she was, she was advanced in years. Had gotten older without remarrying. Now she was a prophetess. So it's kind of interesting. Sometimes... Have you ever felt like your life has just gone boring off the rails? It's gotten into another realm of boredom. Now what did she do? What did she fill her life with? And then as a widow to the age of 84. Probably been a widow now for, what, 60 years? Close to it. And she never left the temple. Serving night and day with fastings and prayers. When I ran into this word again, latruo. Latruo is of the word group that means to serve as a priest. Now she was not a Levitical priest. She was of the tribe of Asher. But what did she do? She served as a priest. I think that in a sense foreshadows the universal priesthood of the church. But here she is serving as a priest night and day with fastings and prayers. She was a better priest to Israel than the Levitical priesthood was at this point in time. But she was a, she served. Because see, it's always interesting. The function is so Im, important. You can have all the form in the world, but if you don't have a function that goes with it that's honorable to the Lord, you just missed the point. And it says that at that very moment... Isn't this a happy greeting? <laughs> Mary, Joseph, Jesus shows up. Simeon shows up. Now Anna shows up. She came up and began giving thanks to God. She's affirming what Simeon had just told uh, Joseph and Mary. And continue to speak of him to all those who were looking for the re redemption, the lutrosis of Jerusalem. So, look what we learned from her. Savor your gift within your circumstances. She was a prophetess. And what did she do? She did that which was honorable and pleasing to the Lord in spite of her meager, her meager circumstances. Serve as a priest to God. That especially applies to us because we're all priests to God. To present our body a living holy sacrifice. And... Say thanks to God and then go tell people about him. 
Tell people that the Redeemer has come. You don't have to wait any longer. He has been here. He has bore our sins in his body on a tree. He has risen from the dead. And he is coming back. That's a very simple outline of the plan. But let them know. There is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Now, <clears throat> so we could ask ourselves by application, are we a humble voice for God? Do we pay attention to God's voice? Do we listen to Satan's voice? He went after the Lord, didn't he, Matthew 4. Are we humbled by our position? To recognize that we are a child of the Almighty should be humbling. To recognize that we have been given a grace gift at the moment of salvation to serve Him. To realize that we have been given the, the pearl of great price, eternal life forevermore. Those things we often just take for granted. And do we hear the call to be a disciple? A disciple is... is not simply a follower, a disciple is a student. A disciple is one who wants to know his word and keep it and live by it. And so, do we hear the call? Now, here is, the Lord has been born. We have uh, Simeon and Anna that have showed up. Prophets who have attested to the fact that this is the Messiah, this is the Christ child, the one that they've been looking for forever. And then suddenly we have gifts for a king. We all should get together and say, we three kings of Orient are. Now, <clears throat> after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east... Now, most people think these were probably from Persia and they are Gentiles. It doesn't say there were three of them, but we recognize the three wise men and it's assumed there were three based on the number of gifts that were brought to them. So it could be we five kings of Orion are and then all that's, those singing of those Christmas carols are all messed up. We don't know, but we can ask. What we do know is they brought three gifts along with them. And they arrived in Jerusalem. They were headquarters of, of the Jewish nation. Saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now how would the Persian, Babylonian, how would those, those people know anything about him? Anything about the Messiah? Well, there's ways that it is possible because... Did the, did the Persian Empire ever know anything about Jehovah? Uh, yeah. What about the Babylonian Empire? Yeah. Read the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar. Persian Empire knew about him. Who was it that issued the decree to rebuild Jerusalem? 445, Artaxerxes, a Persian king. So these kings coming from the east... They knew about some of the prophecies, especially these magi, these wise men. They had evidently studied and they had some concept about the king of the Jews that is going to be born. And they had a concept about kind of where, but they started following a star. Now, that's always bothered me about this star. How they followed this star. Because... If we started following a star in the heavens, we'd probably circle the globe and end up back in the same place. If we didn't wander off course by half a degree, then we'd end up several hundred miles different if we, if we did that. But here are these guys, and, and they said, we saw his star in the east and then come to worship him. Now, <clears throat> the indication is here that they... They knew something about Messiah for Israel. What about any, anybody else in the ancient Middle East know anything about him? I would think Assyria. Wasn't there a prophet named Jonah? Went into Nineveh. 
They were 40 days from being wiped off the face of the earth. And of course, he didn't want to go, got swallowed by a fish, spit up on a beach, gave the gospel, going, okay, I'll go ahead and give them the gospel, and they'll reject it, and God will kill them, which is what I want to happen to the Assyrians. But that wasn't what happened, was it? He went in, and they became, they got saved. And their, their system lasted another 140 years off the prophet Jonah. One of the, the, uh, the Rob Shaka, the Secretary of State from uh, Assyria, showed up at the, <laughs> to the Jews to tell them, guess what? Your God sent us here. <laughs> now how would you like to be Jews who follow Jehovah Elohim and then get a message from a Secretary of State to a pagan nation as you viewed them and it says, your God sent us here. That outcome's not going to be good for them, and it wasn't good for them. And that, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrian Empire. But they knew about Jehovah Elohim. The Babylonians knew about Jehovah Elohim. The Persians knew about Jehovah Elohim. The Greeks knew about Jehovah Elohim. They knew. And so how much did they know? We don't know, but they knew enough to say there's going to be a star... We need to follow it. Where did it come from? And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Now my question is, why should all Jerusalem be troubled? Unless they were living in unbelief. Uh, And that maybe one day the Lord would come and discipline all of them for their unbelief. Had he ever done that before? Yes. Northern kingdom. Southern kingdom. Uh, he, yeah, Messiah's going to be, Messiah may kick all the Romans out, but he may kill us too. You remember the Jews always were mixed up, weren't they? Why did you bring us out in the desert to kill us? Is what they asked Moses. So all Jerusalem was troubled. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire, uh, inquire of them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. And they, this is the chief priest and the scribe, said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. That's what they quote. It's quoted here in Matthew 2.6. And you, Bethlehem... Land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I love the word shepherd. Shepherd is actually what pastor means. And when people start talking about being a shepherd, all shepherds are under shepherds because there's one chief shepherd, and that's the Lord Himself. It's any in, interesting any time that we think a title make, makes us something, we start saying, well, like the apostles, well, I'm an apostle. And you read the scripture and you go, Jesus is the apostle. Okay, wherever you find a title like that that man lays claim to and it elevates himself, you find Jesus is the fill in the blank. That's who he is. That's, he's, he's the standard, the absolute standard. It says, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. Now he was really asking them so he could find out how many babies to kill. He was wanting to go back. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and make careful search for the child And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. You think the devil's running that show or not? He wants to kill baby Jesus. Can you imagine at the most vulnerable time in his life, then you have a powerful king that says, I want him. I want him. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them. Now this is a weird star. Until it came and it stood over where the child was. Now they were moving south. Okay? 
not very far, but came and stood over where the child was. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him and opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, it's kind of interesting because there's some symbolism that goes with all three of these elements. Now, we've seen in Scripture gold's reference to deity. It's kind of the kingly metal, as many have called it. And so it's a reference to deity. I believe they were recognizing the source of this child. I think they knew quite a bit, knew who he was. Frankincense is one of the ingredients found in the mixture used for the altar of incense, signifying prayer. Uh, who do you pray to? Pray to the Almighty, but what did the high priest do? This child's going to be the high priest. Did they fully realize that? I'll ask them when we get there. Psalm 110 says it is going to be a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. It's a different priesthood. It's a different priesthood. It is the king and the priest that Messiah is going to be. And so, <clears throat> yeah, this child is the high priest, the great high priest. Myrrh is one of the ingredients used in embalming, which signified this child would die. Huh. How much did they know about the gospel? Sure seems like these gifts were brought with intention because they've been carrying them for a while. And I feel like that they had known them, known what, what they meant. The gifts implied they knew quite a bit about this special child. Quite a bit. Why would they even follow a star? Okay? A star pops up and you go, hey, there's a star, let's follow it. Can you step outside in a clear night out in the country? And you go, I haven't seen that star before. I think I'll follow it. Verse 12, having been warned by God in a dream. So here's the three wise men warmed by, warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed for their own country by another way. Now, what do we know about the star from this paragraph? Let's just read through and tell us. Let's see, what does it tell us about this star? Because I've seen a lot of things every now and then. You get something that, well, the star of Bethlehem will be coming by again. It goes on the Internet, so it's got to be real and true. And so I'm wondering, where do they get these things? Because something, it's the, first of all, this star was a sign of the birth of Messiah. Okay, we can say that. King Herod didn't know about it. Now, does Herod have any astrologers? Now, you can bet in that Greco-Roman time frame back then, they got astrologers all over the place. Herod didn't know anything about it. This star had to do with Israel. It had to do with the known arrival of the king of Israel. The Magi knew who they were looking for. They were looking for the king of the Jews. It came from the east. It stopped over Bethlehem, five miles south of Jerusalem. It's obviously the first sighting of a UFO. No, actually, you'd have to go back to Ezekiel chapter 1 and say that Ezekiel got, got zapped by a UFO. And uh, <clears throat> But here's this star, and it goes... And stops. They don't do that. <laughs> There's something highly unusual about this star. It did not follow the normal characteristics of a star, asteroid, or comet. None of the above. Because it evidently took them a period of time to get from where they were to where they were going to Jerusalem. And it, 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 I'm sure a lot of you have gotten up at 2 o'clock in the morning to go see comets. Nobody else gone to see a comet? I got up at 5 o'clock one time. I think it was Haley's Comet or something like that. And it, and you're, you're looking, you're looking. They're saying it's going to be just for sunrise. And you see this thing go. And you go, there it is. And it's gone. <laughs> you don't see it anymore. That's normally the way we observe such things. Some believe it was a conjunction between Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars. 
But planets don't move in this fashion. It's kind of like this, uh, this eclipse that was for three hours on the day that Jesus was crucified and it made everything pitch black for three hours. How many eclipses have you seen that last three hours? They don't make it. They don't last that long and they don't turn the lights off. The scripture describes it went dark. And so these things don't move in this fashion. So what else do we have to look for? It's reasonable to look for another explanation that is more spiritual than it is physical. Now what would we look for? Um, see the And here's a note. See the discussion on the Star of Bethlehem at Bible.org down there. There's a reference for you to look up and, and uh, take a look at. A possible solution that does not violate Scripture nor the laws of physics as we know them. First, it was prophesied by Balaam that a star shall come forth from Jacob. This star has been recognized as the Messiah for millennia. Number 20, uh, Numbers 24, 15. Not, it should be 15 to 19, not 190, if that's what you got in your handout. Again, proof the handouts are not inspired of God and perfect. So, this is Balaam. Here's another... <laughs> Lord uses goofy people. Have you ever noticed that? Here's Balaam. And the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down, yet having ears un eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, and tear down all the enemies of Sheth, and Edom shall be a possession. Seer its enemies a possession. While Israel performs valiantly. This star to come forth from Jacob. Has been viewed to be a messianic statement in prophecy. For about as far back as you can track. Now. Is this a star? What kind of star? When you're t talking about Israel. What kind of stars did they have? Satan was once known as a star. But he fell from that position. Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. That's Lucifer, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to the earth. So we see that Satan was once known as a star. Angelic beings are frequently referred to as stars. Multiple times, Job 38, 7 is probably the most familiar when the morning stars sang together whenever the Lord put the heavens and the earth together. As Christians, we should seek the morning star rising in our hearts by being properly oriented to prophecy. 2 Peter 1, verse 19 to 21. He says, We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place till the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Know this first of all, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Who is the morning star? Well, letting Scripture tell us this. It's Jesus himself. Revelation 22 and verse 16 getting ready to close out the entire canon of Scripture and look what gets fit in here right in these last few verses while he's telling us, don't add to or subtract from. Three times he says, don't add to this prophecy, don't take away from this prophecy. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, God and man. The bright morning star. Now he's identified himself as that. Therefore, the star of Bethlehem could very well be the Shekinah glory. You think that might have been a sign of the Jews? Didn't they follow the Shekinah glory around the desert for 40 years? Didn't people know about it? Like the Syrians, the Persians, the Babylonians? Very probably... 
because people knew about what happened to the Jews, getting them out of Egypt and wandering around in the desert for 40 years before taking Canaan. People knew that story went worldwide, and it went quickly. It could very well be the Shekinah glory. The Lord himself, like he led the Jews in the desert for 40 years. It could very well have been him. Because the Shekinah glory, what did it do? <laughs> well, it kind of put up a cloud by day to shade them from the sun. And then the cloud moved. What do we do when we get out in heavy sunlight in Oklahoma? It's 110 degrees. We look for the clouds, right? <clears throat> what happens when a cloud moves? We move over. I know you play in the outfield when I was a kid. And you get out there in the outfield in, in uh, July and you are cooking out there. Any cloud brought a relief. So if you were left fielder, you might have been in right field by the time you got done because you were following the cloud. Well, that's what the Jews did. Very well. See, because the Shekinah glory can start and stop when it wants to. It can rest over a certain area or location when it wants to. Because the Shekinah glory is the Lord. And then this child is born. Seems like the best explanation that I've seen. And I may get up there and the Lord said, no, it was really Venus and Jupiter and I controlled all three of them. What we do know is it caught those guys' attention, caught the world's attention, got recorded so that we could look at it today and just be amazed at who our God is. How he brings together, brings to pass his plan, no matter how ridiculous it might seem to us on the surface. When he says it, he's going to do it. Do we believe it is the question. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for your love and mercy and grace and all the blessings and the test that you have brought our way. Thank you for your plan of salvation. Father, it is so simple for us, and yet so many people will miss it. And for that, we are saddened. So, Father, I pray that we will, that we will take this godly sadness and we will tell people about your Son. And no, it's not a big myth, and no, it's not a bunch of lies, but it is fact. And it is going to come to pass. And if people will put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, this, that we'll spend eternity with him. Father, what an amazing blessing that is. We pray that you'll guide us this week as we leave. Guide all of our steps with wisdom. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.